Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, today, we're going to jump into our sermon series on the book of Galatians. This is uh, the penultimate week. We have one more next week. Um, and today's sermon title, just so you're aware, we wanted to make sure it was good for Fifth Sunday. It's friendly and all that. So today's sermon title is Salvation, Castration, and Lemons. Okay. So let's jump right in. Galatians 5, uh, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 2 through 4, talk about circumcision, you're free from rituals and religion. He picks it up in verse 5. For though the Spirit, by faith, we are, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So this beginning of of chapter 5 is about you're totally free. Christ has set you free, and it's neither in circumcision nor in uncircumcision, not in the the rule following or the lack of rule following, that you actually find hope in Jesus. He's continuing this theme of salvation and freedom, and, and Paul continues to punch back at those who would continue to push the law as means to righteousness. The big debate amongst the people of the region was whether the new non-Jewish believers needed to be circumcised. And Paul makes this big point that we, by faith alone, in Jesus, we wait and stand firm, and that's enough. And Paul says that both rule-following and rebellion are worthless. Both are corrections of the other. And we talked about this in the first week, but there's kind of two ruts on the side of the road. There's two ditches we get caught in with legalism and licentiousness. Paul is reiterating that point again, saying that it, it, it isn't about following the rules, and it's also not about, like, undoing the rules. Because sometimes we get a little overexcited and we overcorrect. And um, it reminded me of cryptocurrency. Anybody still involved in that? Sorry for you. I'm going to get three emails from people who are crypto believers still, and I'm ready for them. Um, <laughs> cryptocurrency oversimplified. Over, oversimplified. Cryptocurrency was a correction to an overregulated and tightly controlled global banking system. Okay? Too, too few people control the purse strings of the world. It's overregulated, too much friction. I got an idea. We're going to have cryptocurrency. So they would say the old system, the old money system, that's the circumcision party. These are the, the righteous by ritual. So what they do is they create a a better way that turns out that, you know, a completely unregulated monetary system is rife with problems, too too volatile to be uh, usable, and then a really great place for unethical people to rip off the masses. And so the lawlessness of cryptocurrency failed too. And you saw that in headlines for a couple years, and now you don't hear much about it um, because it didn't really work. Because overregulation doesn't seem to be working. So what do we do? We go, well, I got an idea no regulation at all. And then we try that and we go, oh, that didn't work out so well either. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Now what? Paul is saying there's no perfect path, that the solution to, um, to one extreme is not to go to the other extreme. And every path of the world is going to fail you. Any path you choose that puts your choices or you and your work central is the wrong path. Whether that choice is in service of religion or 
irreligion. It doesn't matter. The only path is Jesus plus nothing. Paul is actually really aggravated. This is his angriest letter. He's like, we read it in the same tone we read all Scripture in, and so it's always kind of like, wow, that's a nice Jesus-y point, and I like that. I'm going to read this next section in the tone I think Paul wrote it in and see if you can capture a little bit of the anger. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, huh? I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And you know what? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa. Okay. Did you know your Bible said that? He's not happy. And he says, I wish those that unsettle you, I wish those that were sowing this nonsense in your life would emasculate themselves. I don't even, you know, you got to explain that on the way home. What's Paul saying? Paul says it would be a favor to everyone if the people pushing religion and circumcision instead of Jesus would take it one step further. It's kind of creative, cheeky language. Hey, you know what? You want to go that far? Go one further step. We don't need another generation of this nonsense. That's what Paul is saying. Oh, you want a little bit? Just take the whole block. We don't need this. This is actually holy anger. We would call it righteous indignation. We're a little afraid of righteous indignation. We're a little afraid of holy. We don't think anger can be holy. For some reason in our culture, in our society, modern Christians, we kind of are like, it's all about the grace and peace, and there's not a whole lot of room for Jesus turning over tables. And this is an example of Paul kind of channeling that righteous indignation of Jesus and going, this is not okay, people. And he's inviting us, I think, and if he's not, then I am, inviting us to rediscover our righteous anger at times. Rediscover your righteous indignation when the world has gone sideways, when when believers are in the wrong, it's okay for us to get a little heated at that. You're allowed to fight for faith. You're allowed to be upset when the world schemes against truth. Anger is not evidence of a wrong heart. Sometimes it's the opposite. Anger can be the deepest form of care. David White in his book Consolation says this. He said, anger points toward the purest form of compassion. The internal living flame of anger always illuminates what we belong to, what we wish to protect, and for those things for which we are willing to hazard and even imperil ourselves. Anger can be this beautiful revealer of what our hearts are really about. And we are the generations who know anger as losing a golf ball or a video game, missing out on Taylor Swift tickets, or being a little perturbed that the DoorDash driver is late again. For us, injustice is defined by whether our kid got the lead role in the play or the best position on the team. Don't they know how good he is? And we find that the problem is not that we care too much about these things, it's that we care too little about the things that really matter. 
We're so distracted by nonsense that we're never stirred up for what really matters in life. We're so distracted by a world of endless entertainment that we don't get stirred up about the things that actually matter to the heart of God. There's an email coming to members this afternoon. And it's got some staff updates. We've got a lot of things happening. But it also includes a 27-minute special sermon-length message that we've put out in advance of this vote that's coming. That God has stirred my heart. That we have to speak up. That we have to be bold. And we have to seek His heart in things and see where the world is taking us to a place that is not in line with the heart of God. So you're going to get a, an email, and in there there'll be a, be a podcast you can listen to. You can do it that way. There'll be a YouTube link. And the idea is that it would only uh, encourage you, maybe, but not only encourage you, but you might be willing to share and encourage somebody else. The idea is that sometimes things stir us, and we, if we're not careful, we will get slowly ground down, distracted, maybe afraid, and we stop allowing righteous anger to enter into our bloodstream. We stop fighting for the things that really matter to God. And so I tell a story of how God woke me up. I never told the story publicly, so it's in the video. You'll get it today. If you're not a member and you go, I want this, we'll put it out on Facebook or wherever those things go later in the week. If you subscribe to our podcast, you'll get it there. But the idea is we have to activate towards what really matters. I said last week, we don't do politics around here. We don't do politics. This is not a political issue. On August 8th, we're voting. You vote your values. I cannot vote for you. I can't tell you how to vote. I can tell you I'm voting yes in August and no in November. And so when that comes to you, you vote your values. But we're not going to stand idly by and go, well, I don't know if it's okay to be mad at that. They're, they, you know, they mean well too. And some people will not like this, and I'm okay with that too. People were not real happy when Jesus turned over tables. He was okay with it. Paul's Probably not making a lot of friends when inviting the Pharisees of the, lay, of the land to castrate themselves. Probably not making friends. That's okay. Sometimes it requires us to find the courage to say the things that God would have us say. So I'm wondering where that is for you. What makes you angry? What raises your blood pressure? For most of us, myself included, first in line here, I'm not throwing stones. What makes us angry are little inconveniences. What makes us angry is as soon as you fix one thing in the house, something else breaks. What makes me angry is I mowed the yard on Thursday and it looks like it needs to be done again on Sunday. Not the stuff that matters to God. We have to get back in touch with the Holy Spirit. We have to get back in touch with the heart of God so that we might figure out what it is that really matters. When you find out what makes you angry, when you're honest with yourself about what stirs you up in anger, you will eventually be able to trace that root to what you worship. You worship and what makes you angry. Those two things are intricately tied. And most often when I look at the things that make me angry, what I realize is I worship myself and my comfort. My guess is the same is for you. The things that I'm really after is me and my comfort. And my anger is usually fueled at things that aren't helping those along. So you got to dig a little. Paul continues, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom 
to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. He says, lest we get carried away in our righteous anger, don't forget. Your freedom is a gift given to you with a purpose. Your righteous indignation is fuel for that same purpose as well, to be used to serve and bless others in love. Your life was created that you might serve and bless others. So don't, use, don't lose your freedom by diving back into the depths of religion. That's one way to lose it. Don't abuse your freedom by going wild because grace exists to cover my sins. The gift of freedom in Jesus was given that you might be free to give your lives away for others. Be free to channel that anger into blessing. Be free to channel that freedom, that joy, that peace, that patience into blessing. Guided by the Spirit, your life is new and it is different. And then he gives us these lists. We're going to put up Galatians 5, 19 through 23 up on the screen. We're going to leave it up for you. He gives us these lists, and we tend to look at them one way. I'm going to challenge you to look at it a different way. Let's read them first. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, you can circle that, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So I want you to note the first word in the second line. That's verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Why is that the word I want you to circle? Meaning, these are not to-do lists and to-don't lists. We read these things. We're so Western. We read these things as lists of to-dos and to-don'ts. So if I don't do the things on top and I do the things on the bottom, if I don't do list one and I focus on doing list two, then I'll be available for the kingdom of heaven. Then I'll be good, right? No. That's just circumcision all over again. If I just avoid those behaviors and I do these other behaviors, that's the right answer, right? And Paul is saying, no, 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 you're missing it. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results will be that list. That list is not something for you to avoid. That list is the result of what happens when you're not living in Jesus. That list is a diagnostic. It's an arrow pointing at your life. And if you look up and you go, I sure am dealing with jealousy or idolatry or drunkenness or sexual immorality. I'm dealing with these sin issues. It isn't, I need to work harder to get rid of these sin issues. It's saying, I need to look at where I'm rooted because it says you're rooted in your sinful nature. You're rooted in your flesh instead of at the bottom, but the Holy Spirit being rooted in the Holy Spirit. When you're rooted in the Holy Spirit, the result produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And so it isn't, I need to be working harder at being peaceful and good. It's, I need to be more rooted in the spirit so that goodness might pour out of me. But we've mixed this up and made it a to-do list. It isn't that at all. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the results of your life will show you who you follow. And when you are following you and your comfort and your desire, the results will show you clearly what's happening. It's just a new kind of circumcision. So if your life is full of list one, Paul would say, wake up. You're living by the old self. You're living by the flesh. So it's naturally going to lead you to those things. 
If you're living by the Spirit, there should be less of list one and more of list two, more of these fruits, because the Spirit living is what leads to joy and goodness. Some of you are into lawns. This is a good way to say this. I said I got to mow my lawn every four and a half minutes right now. How do you get dollar weed and crabgrass and clover? Where do those come from? I mean, I have it. I've never had to go out and plant it, right? It's not the result of me doing some dumb things like planting dollar weed. I don't plant clover and go, whoa, clover. It just shows up. And every year we fight it and every year it comes back. It's the result of the natural way of being. It's just what comes naturally to my yard. It is the result of inactivity or carelessness or apathy, or sometimes it just pops up. Look, weeds. How do I get rid of them? Well, I don't work for them, but I do have to work to get rid of them. How do I get rid of them? I have to take active care to cultivate a yard of a different sort. I take active care. And even then, I don't plant really lush turf that's perfect for picnics and cornhole games. I don't, I don't work at plant. I actually do some other work. I, actually, I live in the, in the caretaking mode as opposed to the carelessness mode. And so when I go into this other mode where I'm putting the weed and feed down and I'm visiting Midwood and getting the latest step to whatever to do, who, what's it, and I push the thing and then I water the stuff and then I don't even know. I do what they tell me. It mostly works. Only when I get to caring about it does it all of a sudden produce the thing I want it to produce? And I have no clue how it produces it, but it does. And when I back off and I just get lazy again, what does it produce? Crabgrass and clover and dollarweed and dandelions and all the rest. Verses 19 through 21 are not behaviors that take you off track. Now, they will take you off track, but I think they're more indicators that you've been off track for a while. They're not behaviors that take you off track. It's showing you that you've been apathetic or distracted and that list is now prevalent in your life because of it. Because they will naturally pop up in the life that is not rooted in the Spirit. Conversely, active life in the Spirit not only removes those behaviors from your life, but it replaces them and cultivates something better. For some people in the room, this makes you tired just thinking about it. Tired of hanging on in a culture that seems opposed to you, tired of fighting the good fight, tired of serving others in love, tired of protecting your kids or chasing your dreams or walking the straight line. And I would say God is growing you up. God is growing you up. I heard Tim Keller in an interview last week. He's passed away from pancreatic cancer. He said he was struggling for, for half a minute with why God would give him cancer. And he's a Presbyterian, so he says, I don't really get a whole lot of words from God. Okay, I'm Presbyterian. But he says, I knew pretty clearly what was happening. And God told me, you need this because you're too reliant on other things. You're too distracted by other things, and I need you closer to me. Because I'm getting you ready for ultimate holiness, but you're not holy enough yet. And so I've given you this cancer that you might draw into me. And he said it without some shame for the rest of us. He didn't say it to be like, look how great I am. 
he was honestly saying this, one of like the most revered ministers and writers and theologians that we have, one of the holiest people that anyone has ever run across, the stories of him of integrity are just, I mean, it's just all you'd ever want to be. And he says, I, I don't think I know because God told me, God gave me cancer that I might draw closer to him. And I thought, well, if, if only I would look at the struggles of life, however small mine are, as ways that God was reeling me in. God wants more of me in his life. God wants more of him in my heart. That God is growing us up through life. God is growing us up through the challenges. God is growing us up through the thing, the next hurdle, the next mountain, the next challenge. God is growing us. Verse 5 and 6 again, he said, remember, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised, in rule following or rebellion. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. We who follow Jesus, we eagerly wait to receive more from him. When our flesh is weak, when we're weary and poured out, when we are on empty physically or emotionally or spiritually, we think it says faith expresses itself in love. What we think, again, we're back into do mode. We say, oh, well, faith expresses itself in love, so that means I just need to be more loving. I need to do more loving things. I have to work harder and love more. That's the beauty of your Midwestern ethic coming through. If I'll just work a little harder. He's not saying that. What it says is turn back to Jesus, call upon his spirit, and wait for him to fill you up again, that it is his power that takes you over the next hurdle, that it's his strength that gets you over the next peak. It's his healing. It is his endurance. It is the Holy Spirit of God that propels you through life. And when you're weary, that is just an indication that you need more God in your life. It's love and the lemon tree. Lemon time. Credit to my 11-year-old. I forgot the lemon at home. And I said, please go into the kitchen and get the most beautiful, biggest lemon you can find. And I mean, this is like 3D printed lemon. If, you, if I told you this is a plastic lemon from Hobby Lobby, you'd be like, yeah, that's what they'd make it look like. It's a pretty lemon. Good job. You ever try to um, squeeze a lemon and get the juice out of a lemon? A lot of ways to do that. You cut it, you squeeze it, you squeeze it again, you kind of turn it over, you squeeze it again. If you're smart, if you're smart, you get a contraption that helps you with this. You have one of these? Who has one of these? Just show of hands. Who has one? Yeah, you, you people are serious about your lemons. We got one of these. You use it, you cut it in half, you put half of it in, and you squeeze that thing down, and it just pours out. You didn't know there could be so much juice in a piece of fruit. And you get the other piece and you put it in and you end up getting two little discs of flattened lemon at the end. But th the question is, is there more juice in there after you've squeezed all that juice out? There is. Because you can actually pick up that flattened disc of lemon and you can squeeze it again. And a little more, another drops comes out. And you could take that and then you could put it in some sort of like construction, contraption, some vice grip thing, of, and you could squeeze it a little tighter and you'd get a couple more drops out. And then you could probably pulverize that from there and make some sort of lemon, you know, sawdust sort of thing and then rehydrate that later and then get more juice out. 
That's what most of us do. If this was our heart and what we were aiming for was love, this is what most of us do, is we do our best to squeeze every ounce of love out of ourselves. And we squeeze it and then we put it in the contraptions and we squeeze it again and then we pound it to dust and we go, I think I did all I can do. What else do you want, God? It's a picture of the way that we operate with love in our own strength when we are so concerned with doing the fruit of the Spirit, with loving and participating in goodness and being peaceable. We're so concerned with doing those things. I'm going to do the thing with the fruit. I'm going to get all I can out of the fruit. And what we've done in the midst is we've forgotten what the source of it all is. Galatians 5 said those who live by the Spirit, those are connected to a living God. That's where that's where help comes from. That's where hope comes from. That's where life comes from. It's actually all connected. Jesus said, there's a vine. There's a, there's a way. And it's not us. It's not our strength. We have to stay connected. In the Spirit, we become people who aren't spending our days squeezing the last ounce out of ourselves. We instead become people who know that the source always has another lemon to offer. It's as if we thought that this was all there was. Instead of looking at the lemon tree just over the horizon, we are people who are so focused on doing the fruit that we forget where the fruit comes from. The fruit is just ever present at the source. And we're squeezing out every last ounce of ourselves thinking this is what God wants for me. And what God wants for us is to drop the used lemon and walk back to the lemon tree and grab another. And there's more juice there. You don't have to use it all. Half use it. Squeeze it with your hand. Don't even be efficient because guess what? You go back to that tree, there's another lemon. You go back to the tree, there's another lemon. You go back to the source, there's more spirit. You go back to the source, there's more spirit. And we spend our lives squeezing every ounce of ourselves. I can be more loving. I'll serve more and be sacrificial. And he's going, yeah, yeah, that's the outflow of the source. And when you do that in yourself, you're setting yourself up for failure. When we recognize that we stand redeemed, by nothing less than the sweet mercy of God, it puts us in the right space to realize that we are not the source of our righteousness. We are not the source of our goodness. We are not the source of any of this. And that changes everything. Because when we return to the source, instead of white-knuckling through faith, instead of waking up weary another day on this earth, Lord, just take me home. Instead of that, we lean back into Jesus and we remember what it's like to rely on the Holy Spirit. We remember the feeling of wild power when the Holy Spirit first came upon you and you went, oh, I think I can actually do this. We remember that the source produces more goodness. That the source is where we get joy and faithfulness and self-control that there is more peace and more love available, but it is not in us taking our lives and squeezing one more ounce out. It's not in one more rule, one more ritual. It's not in one more act of rebellion and showing people just how righteously indignant I can be. It's in finding the heart of God through the Holy Spirit of God and saying, I will root here, I will stay here, and in you alone, that's where life will show up. And that's where I will begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a list to do. It's a life that's lived when we're connected to the source. 
Let's pray. Lord, this is uh, such a challenge for me. I don't know about everybody else in the room, but it is so hard not to become self-sufficient, not to attempt to do it on my own, not to squeeze one more drop out of my life. Father, our desire is to know what it means to live a life of goodness and faithfulness and love and joy and peace. We want those things to be the hallmarks of our existence. We want to leave behind the other list of the jealousies and divisiveness of, the, of all the habits and hang-ups we wish we could leave behind. Lord, I pray that you would, um, that you would sweetly in your mercy that you would convict us this morning. Not that we might leave here with our heads hung low, but Lord, that we might leave here rooted in you with our heads high, sourced in your goodness, sourced in your mercy, sourced in your grace. And God, as we uh, chase what you have for us in this world, Lord, would you uh, give us the courage to speak when it's time to speak? Would you give us the, Lord, would you give us the discernment to know when it's time that we are empty to come back to you, to return to the source? and to live life you've called us to. God, we're grateful for your presence here. Invade us today. In Jesus' name, amen.